as more children are becoming eligible to be vaccinated, this gives me more opportunities, newer opportunities to talk to my patients and their families about getting vaccinated. So I just encourage all of our physician colleagues, anytime you identify one of your patients who hasn't been vaccinated, talk to them about the benefits, the harms, ask about their fears and try to help them think through those and come to a point where they're willing to get vaccinated. Hello and welcome to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. For those of you who are new listeners, or tuning in for the first time in a while, you might notice that things sound a little different than usual. That's because we're recording remotely instead of in our usual studio setting so we can follow safe social distance practices with our guests. I appreciate your understanding and for listening to our podcast. Today, I'm excited to have two Permanente physicians with a wealth of knowledge on the COVID-19 vaccine rollout process. Where we stand, how we got here, and what comes next. Together, we'll discuss experiences, learnings, and the work ahead for vaccine distribution. I'd like to also note to our listeners that we're recording this conversation in the first week of May. Because the situation surrounding vaccine distribution changes so quickly, I wanted to put our conversation in context, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Calling into the show today is Dr. Tanisha Cheatham, a family medicine physician with Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group and physician-in-chief of the Kaiser Permanente Baltimore Service Area, and Dr. Craig Robbins, a national co-leader of Kaiser Permanente's COVID vaccination program and a family medicine physician with the Colorado Permanente Medical Group. Welcome, Dr. Cheatham and Dr. Robbins. I'm so glad to have you both on the show. Thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks so much, Chris. I want to kick off our conversation with a question for you, Dr. Robbins. As co-leader of Kaiser Permanente's vaccination program, you've had a front row seat to the COVID-19 vaccination as it was developed with historic speed and urgency. What do you think are some of the key learnings that your team and Kaiser Permanente as a whole have taken away from this process And what are some areas where we can improve? Thanks, Chris. So I'd like to start by acknowledging just how many people have been involved in our programs from our vaccine supply colleagues in pharmacy, our vaccine care delivery operations colleagues, communications colleagues, people involved in data and reporting. We've had ethics consultation, legal consultation, just a lot of people from across the whole organization involved. And it really has been quite a wonder to behold. As you know, the vaccine efforts across the U.S. are a joint effort between communities and states and the federal government. We have been a key partner in all of our regions, working with the local health jurisdictions. And in addition to providing great service to our own members to get vaccines, we've been a player in the community to help as well. It's really been a privilege and a pleasure to be a part of it. Some areas that we can improve, you know, there have been challenges throughout. Some of the challenges have been external. At times, we've been challenged to get the supply at KP that we would like to have, but our delivery system has continued to stand ready to to get vaccines into arms when we have the supply available. One of the things that we certainly could learn from moving forward 
is how to be a community player more easily. To participate in the community, we've had to create ways for non-KP members to get kind of recorded in our system, be able to be vaccinated. We've had to create medical record numbers. And at every step of the way, it takes time to kind of work through the process of getting that in place. Yeah, so collaboration and flexibility sound like the, the, the name of the game. You know, millions and millions, tens of millions of individuals have been vaccinated. And for you know a good period of time, we had in excess of 4 million a day. But in April, as eligibility requirements expanded, there were reports across the country that demand for the vaccine was beginning to flatten. Did you experience that in Kaiser Permanente? And what does that mean moving forward and getting more people to get the vaccine and ultimately reach herd immunity? So we definitely seen that in Kaiser Permanente as well. Like we mentioned before, at the onset of the program, there was far more demand than supply. But we've had promises throughout the effort in the U.S. that the manufacturers were going to create more vaccine and, and build that supply. So we anticipated at some point the supply was going to exceed the demand, and we're getting to that point in these last few weeks. In early April, on a weekly basis, we were averaging 60-plus thousand vaccinations per day. And in the last few weeks, we've seen that taper down to averaging in the 50,000s per day. And we're at this place now where we need to try to help people who are hesitant to get the vaccine, maybe somewhat resistant to get the vaccine, to understand the vaccine, develop some more confidence around it, and hopefully go ahead and get vaccines. So you mentioned the, the concept of herd immunity, and that's a difficult thing to determine in terms of the level. What's the level that we need to reach to get to herd immunity? And on some level, it's like we'll know it when we get there. When enough people are vaccinated that we see COVID infection cases declining and going down to very low levels, that's when we know we've reached it. But we are a large country with different um, geographies, different population densities, and likely different levels of herd immunity. And we're at a point where what we need to keep pushing for is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. The more people we have vaccinated, the more protection there will be at both the individual and the community level. Dr. Cheatham, early on, it was clear that COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting communities of color, such as African-American or Latinx. I know you've spearheaded remarkable work at Kaiser Permanente's Mid-Atlantic States region to ensure that the vaccine goes to communities hardest hit by the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit about that? That's a fantastic question. Thanks for asking. You know, I think across the country and in the Mid-Atlantic, we've seen that African-Americans and the Latinx community were more likely to be hospitalized and actually more likely to die from COVID-19, more so than white people in the U.S., just as Dr. Robin said, you know, supply was an issue, but we were very intentional and uh, an intentional appointment outreach process to vaccinate our eligible patients. We emailed, we called, we mailed letters, we texted our oldest and eligible patients as our supplies arrived. We found that this approach actually led to more African-American patients getting vaccinated. We tried to meet our patients where they are and find the best ways to get the information to them about the vaccine. And we continue to still do that today. 
many of our vaccine opportunities available through the state and local public health departments, in the beginning, were really requiring several steps, repeatedly having to log in and out of the computer systems. And then there were, you know, as we talk about like social determinants of health, people not having internet access or having a computer or just not being tech savvy enough to be able to understand how to get the appointments. Our approach really helped to remove some of those barriers for our patients uh, who may not have had that kind of time or assistance in getting those vaccine appointments. In addition to like reaching out to our own patients, we partnered with the state of Maryland to support one of Maryland's first drive-through mass vaccination sites in actually our hardest hit county in Maryland, which is Prince George's County, a really heavily dense African-American county. We created I Got the Shot vaccine buttons and, you know, I wear it all the time in hopes to like spark a conversation and ask me why I'm wearing this and I'm proud to wear this button. You mentioned about other ways that we can reach communities and in Baltimore, we've had a program called Good Hair and Great Health. And for years, we've been partnering with local barber shops and beauty salons to provide health screenings and preventive care like the flu shots. But now we're actually talking about COVID-19 and the vaccine. We know that vaccines offer protection to people in these communities. And with vaccinations now widely available, we're starting to see, you know, the rates of hospitalizations and death in our hardest hit communities come down. But you know, the risks are still high and we need to continue to meet everyone where they are and get them vaccinated. Dr. Cheatham, thanks so much. And I love your motto of, you know, meeting our community where they are around COVID vaccination, but around every aspect of health. And I have been following the good hair and great health program. And I'm so delighted to know that it's been extended from traditional health guidance and flu vaccines to include COVID-19, because that's just another wonderful example of meeting folks where they are in a unique way. Dr. Cheatham, you wrote an excellent perspective connecting the historic mistreatment of African-Americans to vaccine hesitancy. A Kaiser Family Foundation poll from early this year showed that about half of Black people said they would wait and see how the vaccine is working in others before immunizing themselves, compared with about a third of white people. What do you think the medical community needs to do in order to rebuild trust among African Americans when it comes to vaccines and the important role physicians play in this process? I think about that article and history that has occurred in the African American community. And I think first, we as medical professionals, we should just first acknowledge their apprehensions and not dismiss, you know, them as fear or ignorance about vaccines or just fear or ignorance, right? There's a lot of mistrust and we've got a lot of work to do. I think it starts with the patient-physician relationship and building that trust and building that connection, getting to know patients and helping to dispel any myths that they're saying. I tell my patients, you know, the vaccine is your armor. This is your shield to protect you from dying, right? Because there's so many myths out there and we fight this not only for the vaccine, we fight it for colon cancer screening and getting colonoscopies. It's 
because you know the African American community and the Latinx community are so connected within themselves that it just takes one bad event to put us backwards in what we need to do. And so I think that it's one person at a time, you connect, you you get them to take the vaccine and you actually ask them to tell your church members to go into those community groups and tell them, I got my vaccine, here's what happened. I think sometimes we can't always fight emotions with science. Sometimes the science doesn't really make sense or the science isn't what's really there. It's really about the emotions and the experiences that they've heard heard and the stories that they've heard from family members and people that are close to them. And I think really it is connecting and dispelling those myths and telling them that, yes, things happened in the past that we're not proud of, but that's not where we are now. We're here. We're meeting you where you are. Always be the advocate for them and just help. That's awesome. And it continues on that theme of meet people where they are and build trust. And thinking about that broader community, whether it's the churches in the community or or the barbershops or the beauty shops or the friends and family, it's connecting with those folks that are trusted most in the community to become the advocates. All right, this next question is for both of you. Early on, Health Systems partnered with local public health agencies and community groups to hold mass vaccination sites Dr. Robbins, you, you talked a bit about that need for collaboration and cooperation. Many of those mass vaccination sites are now winding down. How can we keep these partnerships continuing moving forward to fight COVID, but also just to be great partnerships in the community for health? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. The mass vaccination sites that have been set up across the country have been really important parts of the initial push to get as many people vaccinated against COVID infection as possible. And at Kaiser Permanente, we've been a key partner with local governments and healthcare providers in setting up several successful mass vaccination sites in our regions. We should take this as a learning opportunity to figure out other ways to partner together. This is probably not going to be the last epidemic or pandemic that that many of us will see. Hopefully we won't see something as big as this again in our lifetimes. But there are also other ongoing issues where we should be exploring partnerships in the community to do better for everyone. That's great. And Dr. Cheatham, on that same note, you outlined so many wonderful partnerships that you've helped forge. How do we keep that momentum going come this summer and, and, and into 2022? We have to really look at how people connect, right? So we go into the communities in Baltimore with our barbershops and our beauty salons and, you know, going into the churches and the community centers, those are still very, very important, but there's also the younger subset, right? And so I think about my boys and how they're on TikTok, you know, or Snapchat. And we have to figure out ways to leverage those sorts of venues to get the message out. I also think it's important partnering, you know, with trusted organizations to bring those vaccines, like, you know, partnering with sports teams or other respected kind of groups in the community will be helpful as well. And then just Again, continuing the social media aspect of this, because of all the social distancing that we have, a lot of different discussion topics are happening through, you know, like our Facebook Live events. And I think it's important that we continue to get the word out and, again, meet the patients where they are. 
That's great. And, and I'm so glad that you brought up the youth. As we're taping this, the vaccine is approved for those over 16 years of age and hopefully soon younger. And yet the uptake of youth hasn't been what we, I think, had hoped for. And so reaching out to social influencers, sports and celebrities to access other voices that are trusted or admired to advocate for vaccination, I think is absolutely key. Now that the vaccine is available to the vast majority of our nation, I'm curious in what advice you have for your fellow physicians who are working to encourage patients to get vaccinated so that we can finally reach the end of this pandemic. Dr. Cheatham, why don't we start this question with you? So on a daily basis, continue to meet patients where they are. I'm a practicing family medicine physician, and as more children are becoming eligible to be vaccinated, this gives me more opportunities, newer opportunities to talk to my patients and their families about getting vaccinated. Like I said before, I tell my patients, this vaccine is your armor, it's your shield, but it allows you to be able to reconnect with your family that you haven't seen. It's important as physicians to wear our buttons to say, I got my COVID-19 vaccine, putting in systems that alert us to say, like, this patient hasn't gotten their vaccine. That's my reminder to say, when are you going to get your vaccine? When I'm in the building where we have our vaccine clinic, can I walk you down there? Or framing the question, what do we got to do to get you to get that vaccine today? I think it's important any way that you can connect we should be that advocate. We should be that spokesperson and continue to model that behavior of, of encouraging and reminding them that family is important in our communities and this is our way to get back to connecting with your family. Dr. Robbins, how about you? How do you encourage and motivate your fellow physicians to, to be the front line for vaccination? Well, I fully endorse Dr. Cheatham's comments and especially the idea of meeting people where they are. That really is great advice. And I do think that all of our regions are going to start to look for opportunities to make the vaccine more available right in the delivery system at the time of an outpatient appointment. I don't think it's going to be too much longer before we're going to have supply to be able to give people a vaccine at their primary care appointment or at their OBGYN appointment. We still know that physicians and our nursing and pharmacy colleagues are some of the most trusted experts that people will listen to when they're not sure about receiving a COVID vaccine. So just encourage all of our physician colleagues, anytime you identify one of your patients who hasn't been vaccinated, take a few minutes to encourage him or her to get vaccinated, talk to them about the benefits, the harms, ask about their fears and try to, to help them kind of think through those and come to a point where they're willing to get vaccinated. It's great advice. As I um, look back over the last year plus, it's been a purposeful year. It's been a hard year. And it's been a period of time that I think we're all going to look back on and feel like we made a difference. So many times along the way, we heard doctors described as heroes. And in listening to both of you and having witnessed the work that Dr. Cheatham and Dr. Robbins, you've led, and knowing that there are millions and millions of individuals that have been vaccinated because of your creativity, because of your hard work, it's absolutely true. You are heroes. You've saved lives. 
because of the work that you provided at this moment in time to all the communities that Kaiser Permanente serves. And it's patients of Kaiser Permanente, but it's the broad community that you've so profoundly affected. So I'm grateful to both of you for the work that you've done, for the contributions that you've made, and for joining me today on this really important topic. Thank you for the expertise and leadership. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. That's our show for today. My thanks to our guest and to you for listening. Be sure to catch up with other episodes of our podcast by visiting Permanente.org or by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.